0: Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel, chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 6 through verse 25. I think our passage really deals with success. And if, if you're like me, you probably would like to be successful. You don't really want to go through life and at the end of life look back and go, You know, that wasn't a very successful life. And as we think about different smaller areas of our life, we also want to be successful. So if you've you've played on a sports team, you always want to be on the team that at the end of the game is chanting. Um, That they've won, right? I remember growing up in Ghana, a lot of times um, I was part of um, different small league soccer teams it was a lot less formal like here you know it's pretty formal you know mom and dad pay a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars and then you're part of the league and it's pretty much set in Ghana the parents weren't involved the kids organized the teams and you know um, various teams had different jerseys based on how much money the kids in that team could raise on their own and so a poorer team and a better team would have you know, different jerseys, that was the idea. So, um, one of the chants was, Yashemo Mojezi, Su-Di. Um, we've, we've, we've won the game, we've beat you, and your jerseys are made out of su It was like the cheap dye that you could buy like a white shirt and just <laughs> a basic dye job, and like that was the low end teams. Um, Um, So, you know, you didn't want to be on that team. You wanted to be on the team that was chanting, we beat you and your jerseys stink. Like, you have the low low grade jerseys, we have the high grade jerseys, and it's demonstrated by how well we performed on the soccer team. That's what we want. And, And the same thing is true when we come to life. We want to be people who are successful. We want to be people who are viewed as successful in in all areas of our life. We want to be viewed as successful at work. We want to receive that next promotion, at least most people do. Some people are like, I don't want to be the manager. I'm happy just being right here. But you want to be successful as a parent. You want to be successful in school. You want to be successful in most areas of your life and that is what scripture wants of you as well and in our passage this morning i think the big idea is that god brings success through obedient servants god brings success through obedient servants and so for you and i to be successful in our various areas of our life whether it be our parenting whether it be our marriage whether it be our work ethic or our relationship with our neighbors our our desire and drive to be disciples to be discipled it all means that for us to be successful we have to be obedient servants and i think that's what you're going to see david portraying for us as we work our way through uh second samuel chapter five verses six through twenty six If you would, take your Bibles and let's read through the passage. Verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and and, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David, Now these were the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nathag, Japhia, Lishama, Eliadah, and Elaphelet. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David (laughs) king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it, and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed then David Danced before. I skipped a page. Here we go. Sorry. Let me go back. Then the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, "Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand?" And the Lord said to David, "Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand." So David went to Baal Perazim. And David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place, Baal-Pirazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall go, not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out, out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Giba as far as Gezer. Let's put the Lord in the word of her. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the the truth that it provides us. We thank you for the reminders that it gives us. We thank you that success is possible and that your word does not leave us uh, floundering about seeking how we can find it, but that your word provides us with guidance and instruction so that we can know how to live lives that are successful before you. We pray that as we examine the principles that we see in David's life, that you would help us to Seek to apply those in our individual lives In the many areas where we're called to live in holiness and honor before you In your name we pray, amen Success defined I think we really need to establish a biblical definition for success And so if you're going to define sex success and I'm going to define success We really want our definition of success to be centered in scripture. And what is what does scripture have to say to us about what success is? How do how do you know if you're being successful as an employee? How do you know that you're being successful as a parent, as a spouse, as a as a neighbor, as a church member? How do you know these things? And I think really success is bringing the most glory to God in any area of my life. So, my marriage is my marriage bringing the most glory to God that is possible through my relationship with my spouse? Is my parenting bringing the most glory to God possible through how I interact with my children, how I instruct them, how I discipline them, how I um, demonstrate love for them outside of a discipline context. Am I, am I demonstrating that they are important to me, that I love them, and that I have a desire to build a relationship with them that allows those disciplined moments to be easier. Is my work relationship demonstrating that I work with the singular goal, not of receiving a paycheck or the next promotion, but I work with the singular goal of seeing to it that God is magnified, that God is glorified. As I perform my tasks, no matter how menial they may seem, to God's glory and to God's honor. And so success isn't really something that we're like, he's successful, and because he's successful, he's successful in every area of his life. You could be successful in various areas of your life and completely unsuccessful in another area of your life. And I think as we work our way through the text, you're going to see that it's kind of hinted at with the text. David is portrayed as immensely successful as a king in how he deals with enemies, he is successful. And how he obeys the command of Deuteronomy chapter 17 concerning multiplying of wives, he's not successful. And it's foreshadowing for us what's going to ultimately happen to David in that area of his life. He is not successful. He will fail. I think if we're keeping on with the theme of David, it's nice if we allow David to define for us what success is. If you would take your Bibles and let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. In this context, David is seeing to it that his son Solomon will become king. Solomon's going to be the next anointed king, and David is giving his son instruction. He's telling him, this is what success looks like, Solomon. This is David at the end of his life telling Solomon this is what success is. Verse 38. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. I.e. you're going to be successful. You're going to prosper. You're going to have done well. And so the Bible gives us the definition. Success really is obedience. So how does David demonstrate success? How does David follow through? And I think that the, the passage really gives us two big ideas that I think we can take and we can say, I can live these out. And The first one is the success is found in advancing God's plan. Success is found in advancing God's plan. If you remember in first or 2 Samuel chapter 2, David is anointed king over Judah. And if you remember at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 2, we're all kind of like, aw, like God's promise to David was that he's going to be king over Israel. Not you know, one-twelfth of Israel. And it's kind of disappointing. And as you work your way through that narrative and you get to the end of that narrative, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, what happens? David has followed God by faith. He's lived, trusting God to fulfill his promises. And in chapter 5, the very beginning there, what happens? David is crowned king over all Israel. So David is, you know, he's, he's successful. But David realizes that something's been left undone. Something that everybody before him should have done. Israel's now been in the promised land for hundreds of years. And there are still parts of the promised land that are not under Israelite control it's interesting, as you read through the book of Joshua and as you read through the book of Judges, different people have tried to take this city, the city of Jerusalem, where the Jebusites live. And the Benjamites have tried and the, the tribe of Judah have tried and they've all come up short. They haven't been able to remove this false possessors of the land from the land. And they've given up. And it's interesting, Saul has been king for multiple years, and he never tries, he never pursues this plan. And so David comes, and as David comes, he decides he's going to take the land. Look at verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and lame will repel you. What are they saying? They're saying, The disabled people in our city are going to fight against you, and they will defeat you, David. There is no way your army is marching up into this land to occupy it. We have defeated Israel numerous times. Tribe of Benjamin tried. Tribe of Judah tried. They all failed. We're staying here. We're not leaving. But it's God's plan that they should have that land. And David decides to advance God's plan. He decides to pursue obedience to God's plan. He realizes that, yeah, he's been promised the kingdom and he has the kingdom, but there's another promise that God has made that hasn't been fulfilled. Promise to the whole nation. And so David says, whoever defeats this group is going to have a prominent place and as the battle goes on they find out a way to ensure that they are defeated. And There's lots of discussion around whatever the water shaft is. I don't know exactly but somebody figures out a way to invade the city they find a weak spot in some way. They invade the city and Israel wins the battle. God's plan has been advanced. God's Promise the nation would be theirs and that they're supposed to take this spot it has been advanced and they've done it. And David then turns the taunts that the Jebusites used on them. And he looks back at them and he says, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. He's not talking about the literal blind and literal lame are not going to be allowed into his temple. The idea is, you have taunted me and said that I couldn't defeat you and follow through on God's plan. I couldn't advance God's plan. I have advanced God's plan. I have followed God's plan. And now nobody, who he classifies as the lame and the blind, that's the Jebusites, are allowed into my my court, my, my royal city, because I've defeated you. And so they're not allowed in. And so he's advanced God's plan. He's followed through on doing what God has designed for Israel to do and so he he dwells in the stronghold and he um, calls the place the city of David and God presence ensures that David is successful it's interesting verse 10 summarizes this whole section and what is happening? David is portrayed as successful. Look at verse 10. So David went on and become great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. God's presence allows David to be great. Why? Because David looks at God's plan and he says, I'm going to follow God's plan. I'm going to pursue God's plan. And so the question for you and for me is, are you and I people who look at God's plan? Whatever, you know, the area where you're saying, am I successful in this area? You're wondering, am I successful as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, what does God's word say about being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you Intimately pursuing a stronger understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Disciples are not people who simply gather information and hold on to it. Much like my daughter did yesterday at commencement. We went to commencement for my sister. She was graduating with her master's degree yesterday. And it was a long ceremony, and at the very beginning I I gave Anastasia a cracker. And what did she do with that cracker? For the first hour of the ceremony, she sat there on my lap holding the cracker with this Iron Fist Death Grip. I'm not letting go of this. It's sufficient just to know that the cracker is available for me to munch on whenever I want. Was that the intent of the cracker? No, not really. The intent of the cracker was to make sure that during the two and a half hour long ceremony that she sat quietly, was full, and she didn't throw a temper tantrum. I mean, it, it was accomplishing that in a roundabout way because she was, she was content just to know she had it. But I think sometimes we as believers are content to be disciples who simply gather knowledge and we have it and it's like right here in our hands and we're like proudly portraying our knowledge just like Anastasia was to the whole world around us like I am equipped with a cracker. (laughs) And you sit there and you look at it and you're like, yeah, but the cracker is not really serving its ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of that cracker is to eat that cracker. Right? And so you are meant to be a disciple. And the ultimate goal of you being a disciple is not simply to sit there and portray, I have a cracker. The ultimate goal is for you then to take that knowledge and to allow others also to become disciples as you mentor and disciple them and and grow them. And the same thing could be said about all the other areas of your life. What is the plan for that specific area of your life? Are you pursuing that plan? Do you know what that plan is? Do you know what the next step you need to take in that plan is? And as you and I understand a plan and we follow God's plan for the various areas of our life, we can have it be said of us that we are individuals who are successful in that area. And so David is a successful king. Why? Because he knows God's plan. God's plan is that the nation would possess the whole land. And what does he do? He follows God's plan. Even when he knew that for the past couple hundred years, Israel hasn't accomplished the ultimate plan. He goes forward. He's taunted. He's made fun of. He pursues the plan. He accomplishes it. And he's becoming great. Why? Because he's with God. He's following the plan. But success is not simply found in advancing God's plan. I think success is also found in adhering God's promises. As we work our way through the rest of the text, starting in verse 11, it's interesting. King Hiram acknowledges David's success by serving him. It's really an exciting passage. I mean, here is the new king. And As a new king in a rather unsettled, you know, landscape, right? I mean, you've just now got the loyalty of all these tribes. And this process has taken a couple of years, right? Because Ishbosheth was king for two years, and David's been king for around seven years in Hebron. And now finally he's crowned king of all of Israel. That's not the story of a stable um, process of government, right? That sounds more like the British process of government where they're trying to work out a prime minister and it's always never stable, right? But King Hiram sees the situation and he sees God's success and he acknowledges it. He's trying to say, I accept your authority. Look at what he does. He sends messengers, he sends cedars, he sends carpenters and masons. And what do they do? They build a house for David. And what does that assure David of? As David experiences this acknowledgement of his promises, it it reminds David that this is what God has promised me. This is what David has been longing for and looking forward to for so long. 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is promised, You're going to be king! And then after that, for so many years, years, from a human standpoint, David had to have looked at that situation and gone, I think God messed up. Like, Because Saul's not giving me the throne, and Saul wants to kill me. And in chapter 27, David really has given up, right? Because in the very first verse of 1 Samuel 27, David is, woe is me, life's undone, I'm going to run to Goliath's hometown, and God will protect me there. Well, he's not actually trusting God to protect him. He's, he's trusting the king of Gath to protect him, right? And now God has, in his sovereign will, as David has trusted him, yeah, David's had his ups and downs. But as he's trusted him and lived by faith, God has fulfilled his promise, and other kings around David are seeing that God has established him. And as David sees the acknowledgment of the kings around him, it affirms in David's mind that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. I think the primary thing that is driving David, that is motivating David, even now, is his firm confidence his faith in God's promises to him that's what's driven David that's why David didn't kill Saul in 1st Samuel 24 or 1st Samuel 26 it was because of his belief in God's promises and that is what is making David successful as a king unfortunately though the, the text doesn't just leave us with happy notes about David's success. The text is now going to move in and tell us about some of the character flaws that we see in David. David's success does not mean he has no character flaws. If you look at verse 13 through verse 16 it's a sad statement about the character of David and what is he placing his faith and his trust in. Well, you say, well, he's doing it because it allows him to build political alliances. That is not the David that we have seen in 1 Samuel 24. That is not the David we have seen in 1 Samuel 26. This sounds a lot more like the David that we see in 1 Samuel 27. One who relies upon his own understanding and his own abilities. Unfortunately, it's one that sounds a lot like us all too often. We know who God is. We know how God demands that we respond in various situations. We know that God has promised that no temptation will will come upon us, that we are not able to stand in faith and follow him in faith. And yet, we so easily lose sight of who God is and God's promises. And as we do so, we demonstrate the same type of character flaws that David does maybe in a different area of our life but it's demonstrating the same heart problem that David demonstrates here and when you and I do that when our focus is removed from the promises of who God is and how that relates to the trial and the struggle that I am facing right now we are not successful and in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. David is portrayed as a flawed human being, one who pursues his own understanding. And in this area of his life, he is not a successful man. It gives us a good reminder and a good opportunity for us to reflect on all areas of our life. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to look at you know, a few areas of our life and we're like, look at my job, I'm doing great there. Look at look at my family, we're doing great there. And yet we, we fail to focus on how we're doing as a disciple or we fail to focus on how we're doing as someone who is witnessing to the lost people that are around us who desperately need Christ. And, and we're tempted to look at All the areas of our life and we're tempted to say, you know, there's, you know, there's 20, I'm making it up. But there's 20 areas of my life and 15 of them I'm successful in. So I'm a successful Christian. And I think what the passage is calling us to do is to, yes, rejoice in the areas where we're successful, but not to be content with that. And David is not successful in this area of his life. But he's a wonderfully successful king. And then the text is going to move from this quick little snapshot that the text doesn't focus on and doesn't meditate on for long. And it moves on and from there it moves on to David is once again a wonderfully successful king. Why? I think it's because he's focused on the truth of verse 12. God has promised to set him up as a king and God has brought him to that point and he's trusting in God's promises. And so as... The nation of the Philistines come in and they're attacking him. What does David do? Where does David turn to? This isn't the David of 1 Samuel 27 that says, I'm going to run to Gath and seek help from the Philistines from Gath. No. This is the David who has turned to God and focused on God's promises and God's word that seeks God's guidance, such as in 1 Samuel 30. Verse 17, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over all Israel, why are they upset now? I mean, he's been king over Judah for like seven years. I think it's because all of a sudden there's a united Israel once again. It's not like Israel's spatting with each other, killing each other off a little bit at a time. and you know, we can just let them kind of do their thing and we'll build up our army. It's like, uh-oh. Now they're united. And if they're united... That means that they can unite against us. They're not going to continue to fight each other. And so the Philistines here, they're united. And what's their immediate response? Let's go attack them. We've had seven years of peace. It's time for a little bloodshed. And so they march down there. And David hears about it. He goes up to a stronghold. And the Philistines, they deploy into the valley of Rephaim. And what does David do? He turns to the Lord for guidance. It's showing that he trusts God that he's willing to follow God in obedience he says what shall I do shall I go up against the Philistines will you deliver them into my hand and the Lord said to him go up for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand and so he goes up and he defeats them the Philistines seek to disrupt David's hold on power And he's encouraged by the Lord's faithfulness. David approaches the Lord. And as he approaches the Lord, the Lord counsels him to go up, and he goes up and he defeats the enemies. That's interesting. Verse 21 tells us that they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 4, what happens? israel's marching into battle against the philistines and we have eli's sons and what do eli's sons decide eli's sons are like you know if we bring the ark of the covenant of our god into battle god will be um, be forced we're going to play his hand and make him defeat the philistines because his ark will be with us and he surely can't allow his ark to follow his enemy hands and what happens the ark falls into the enemy's hands. Why? Because they're using God as a play piece. They're not truly worshiping God. They don't have a desire to love and to serve and obey God. In 1 Samuel 31, what happens? The Lord's anointed servant falls into the hand of the Philistines and they humiliate his body. All of a sudden, we have a king who loves the Lord, who loves his word, who loves his guidance And follows his guidance Unlike Saul does Earlier in his book. It's a huge contrast It demonstrates the, the success of David Instead of Israel's stuff Falling into the Philistines' hands The Philistines' gods Are falling into the Israelite hands It's a marked contrast Between the two kings One who is unsuccessful, who pursues his own passions, his own desires, the one who pursues the glory and honor of his God. When you and I focus on who God is and God's promises, and we adhere to them, we follow them in obedience, we are successful. And to the extent that we fail to do so, we unsuccessful in any given area of our lives. But the text doesn't stop there. The text continues to move on. David obeys and credits his victories to the Lord. Look at verse 22. What happens? The Philistines get beat. And they get beat really bad. And a little bit later, what happens? The Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. It's like they didn't learn the first time. And what does David do? Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, "What? You shall not go up. It's not that he's not supposed to attack them. It's the way he attacks them is different. Don't go up directly. Circle around them. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, then attack because God has gone out before you. And he follows the instructions. And as he follows the instructions, what happened? Verse 25, And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Giba as far as Gezer. David looks to the promises of God in verse 12. He says, God has appointed me here. The kings around me acknowledge it. Not the Philistines, but King Hiram acknowledges, God has appointed me as king. And he's assured of God's promise and God's care. And so he chooses to obey. And that's what makes you and I successful. When we, when we advance God's plan, and when you and I choose to adhere to the promises of God, you and I will be successful Christians. But it requires work. It's hard, and it's not like there's just one area of our life. Or if we just get this one area of our life all together, and we advance God's plan in that area and we adhere to God's promises concerning that area then everything's hunky-dory and we can just go on and be happy and live the rest of our life the way we want to no there's multiple areas of our life where we can either be successful or we can be unsuccessful so it requires work it requires study it requires constant desire to submit ourselves to God's word It requires that we constantly remind ourselves of who our God is and his past faithfulness so that as we go through trials, those trials do not become so large that we lose sight of our great God. So how do we respond to to this message of success? How do we respond to David's own success? True success will bring glory to God. And so, as you go through your life and you say, Look at me, I am successful. If you can't point to a way that that success is somehow glorifying God, really bring that success into question. Is that truly success? If there's not some way in which that success that you are claiming is pointing to the glory and splendor of our God, true success will bring God glory. It might bring you happiness and all that too. But ultimately, true success will bring God glory. Success is measured by my goals and my ambitions. David focuses his attention not on his own goals, his own ambition. I mean, he's done that in the past. He's going to do that in the future. You've done that in the past. You're going to do that in the future. But if you're wanting to ask yourself, what about this specific area of my life? Am I successful in this area of my life? And it requires you to ask yourself, what are my goals and my ambitions about that specific area of my life? What are my goals for my marriage? What are my goals for myself as a child? What are my goals for myself as an employer? What are my goals for myself as an employee? What are my goals for myself as a husband, as a wife, as a church member? What motivates me? Is it centered around God's plan for those individual areas of your life? Or have you made up your own set of standards and ideas about what success looks like? Success is measured by my goals and my ambitions in any given area of my life. Success is measured by my responses. It's it's not enough to just have the right goals and the right ambitions, and then in the middle of the heat of the moment, we're in that trial and yeah i've written it down on paper i i know what my ambitions and my motives should be but this trial is large right whatever you consider a trial you don't go through that and think this is not a hard moment the heat so to speak of that trial the heat of the moment is hard so success isn't measured by what you've written down on a paper somewhere or what you've learned sometime as you read the Bible, success is measured by how you respond in the heat of the moment. Success is measured by your response. And then finally, strive to follow a biblical pattern of success this week. I think that's really what the passage is seeking to encourage us to do. You and I's responsibility as we go through this week is to advance God's plan for any given area of our life. And as we, as we do that, we're successful. And your responsibility and my responsibility is to adhere to God's promises in any given area of our life. And as we do that, we're following a biblical pattern of success, and we're going to bring glory to our God, and it's going to cause people around us to question why. Let's go to the Lord in the Word. Father, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that your Word does not leave us floundering about, seeking our own understanding. but your word directs us to truth. We thank you that your truth is not only available to those who are wise or to those who have advanced degrees or to those who have great wealth, but your truth is available to all who are willing to listen. We pray that we would be people who have a desire to listen and follow you in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.